Hey everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as, obviously, their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk with Jim Offerman from Codalin about his upcoming first-person mystery adventure game set in the Dutch villa of a recently deceased billionaire. For more information about the game, check out the links in the description below on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original DarkCast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at DarkStation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Darkcast interviews, everybody. I'm Jonathan. Joining me today is Jim Offerman. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, you have you've worked on some games that I've really enjoyed. So hopefully, we'll actually get to talk about your new video game, which is why you're here. But I make no promises. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, I have a note from uh, from Joel, the uh, editor of the site, that told me I have to at least talk about uh, privacy, uh, your new game, a little bit. Uh, but with your history having Deus Ex and Tomb Raider and Thief, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I, I'm sure we'll make it. <laughs> I'll, I'll try uh, to give brief answers then. And then... That's, that's, yes, hold me accountable, give brief answers. That'll be great. That, that's the best. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so... Jim, you have a, a new game coming out. This is your second uh, solo title, correct? Yep. And uh, before now, you have worked on a number of different games. Uh, but just, I guess, before we get started talking about privacy or any of the other games that you've worked on, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of who you are. So, um, my name is Jim, as you've already told. And I... Like growing up, I, I used to have two two dreams. Like one was become a pop singer, and the other was run a game studio. Um, and how the, how the pop singer thing kind of, work out? Well, um, I made some really good music, but um, you haven't you haven't heard me on the radio or somebody in a stadium. So I, I guess the jury's still out there. <laughs> you still got time? Yeah. Like, there's this Dutch dude who only broke through when he was 65, so it can always be my second career. Absolutely. Um, yes, through some sheer luck, I ended up at this little company in, uh, in the middle of the Netherlands, which worked on some pretty big games and uh, kind of grew up there. So spent a spent a decade there learning from everybody around me. And then I thought, you know what? I can do this by myself. And that's what I did. Awesome. So, um, 
when did you when did you start your your studio? It's is it pronounced Codalin? Is that how it's? Yep, that's okay. the correct pronunciation. Yay! And it started on uh, August one, twenty fifteen. Okay. So what what was really kind of the the driving force uh, behind wanting to to make video games on your own versus uh, the kind of group setting? Well, uh, it was a number of things. Um, like I, I really love the games I worked on at uh, Nixus Software, uh, but they have one thing in common. They all involve a lot of shooting. And after a decade of that, I, I kind of wanted to make games without shooting for a little while. Um, and as long as I can remember, I've always had this desire to, to tell my own stories and create my own worlds. And that's what running your own studio allows you to do. So it's... Um, I guess the time was right for me to to make the jump and 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 have a have a go at it, and so far it's been going quite well. Awesome, very cool. So uh, Nix is is pretty well known uh, for doing ports of a lot of like Crystal Dynamic and IO Interactive games. Um, so, what what was kind of your role um, in in working on those games when you were at Nixus? So initially, I, I got a job there as a graphics programmer, um, but but later on, I uh, became a lead programmer on uh, on one of the uh, platform conversion teams. Um, so for Days X Human Revolution, I, with my team, took care of the PC version, and then later for Tomb Raider, uh, PC and PlayStation. Um, and we take those platform conversions quite seriously. Like we are fully embedded with the original team and basically they take care of whatever platforms they want to launch on and we make sure that the other platforms are up to snuff. Cool. Very cool. So as far so I, I guess you're not um Nixus isn't really involved in a lot of overall kind of game design and and stuff like that, or or do you guys work hand in hand with uh, I guess some of the things that most people would consider when, when you're talking about, you know, making a game, making levels and stuff like that, or is it, is it strictly kind of regulated to, um, you know, making sure that whatever the game is runs well on whatever platform you're tasked with, with making it for? Well, when I worked there, um, it was mostly technical company, like, but um, from what I know, nowadays they are much more involved in the content side as well. And and we, we never stopped at purely the technical stuff. Like if if a game really has to work as a PC game, you need to change a lot of stuff. Like make sure that the mouse controls are, are okay. And for example, we, we spend a lot of time in Deus Ex on uh, making the hacking game work with mouse and keyboard. Mm. Uh, because just a, a direct port of the, the control design that, that Idis Montreal created just didn't feel right. Very cool. What was your uh, what was your favorite project that you worked on while you were there? Tough, tough question. I, I guess it's going to have to be Days X because that was my first project. And um, like I remember I, I got the job and then the day later there was a, uh, a magazine, uh, a Dutch magazine, and it had on the cover, it said, uh, the sequel to the greatest PC game ever has been announced. 
And I was like, oh, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. Um, but yeah, that was really the, the project where I found my my role as a lead and, and, and got to build a team and, and be part of, of all, all things that are required in getting, in getting a game out of the door. Um, so that was fun. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Did you work on uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider at all, or just the the reboot? Um, the I just worked on the reboot. Like okay. the they were work, working on Rise when when I left. Okay. Um, so I had some behind the scenes glimpses before I uh, left the door for the final time. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Well. Um... I, yeah, I'm going to refrain from just asking more questions about those games. Uh, people can probably go find plenty of things uh, about in, you know, all, all of those games uh, somewhere on the internet. It is a, a vast space to find information. Yeah, I, I think uh, other people have covered <laughs> those games quite extensively uh, already. So, uh, so when you... Uh, branched off on your own. Uh, the first game that you made was one called Stable Orbit, uh, which you kind of already answered this in, a, in an aspect that, you know, a lot of the games that you worked on previously were centered around combat and things like that, and so you wanted to, to get away from that. But Stable Orbit is even more different than just, you know, being, um, you know, a first-person game without combat. Uh, talk about that kind of as, as your first project, what, what drew you to, to make that sort of game and, uh, how, how was that? So, uh, when I had to choose my first game as an independent studio, I, I looked at a folder, I, I have a folder on my drive, which is called where game ideas go to die. <laughs> and in there, I leave all the game concepts that I ever dreamed of. And most of them got abandoned for whatever reason. Um, but in there, I had this little Unity um, throw again, throw, throw together project, which allowed you to build a little space station. Um, or more correctly, like connect blue and red and yellow cylinders together. And it seemed to be like a fun concept. And I thought, you know what, a simulation game that's more programming than art, so me being a programmer, that might be a good first project to uh, to tackle. Um, I, I, I actually had the idea for privacy already when I was just starting the studio, but then I thought an adventure game would be more difficult than a simulation game. Hmm. I can tell you now I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> Stable Orbit was a tricky game to get right. I I can imagine. I um, I don't know. I, I feel like something that's uh, kind of a management game. You've got a lot of systems that you have to get right and have to work together. And obviously, in any game, you have an element of that. But when that is essentially the game, I feel like that's that's got to be an undertaking. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's. Like people maybe not realize, but with these types of games, every time you add something, um, something else just falls over because it needs to be rebalanced, um, and, and it's very, very tough to get a good early game and a good middle game and a good late game, mm -hmm. and 
like not everybody agrees that I succeeded with all those things, but I'm I'm pretty happy with where the game ended. Yeah, uh, it's uh, but yeah, making a simulation game work is quite a challenge. Sure, I'm pretty pretty happy to to doing something uh, simpler in a way right now. I can imagine, and I feel like watching the uh, the trailer for Privacy. Uh, I don't know. It, it feels like it kind of makes sense from somebody that worked on, you know, Thief and, uh, yeah, I guess the the newer version of Tomb Raider versus kind of the the older, just jumpy, shooty one, um, and Deus Ex having this, you know, kind of mystery adventure first person thing. Um, it, I don't know. It it seems like it would be more in your wheelhouse. Does does that feel like that's the case working on this, or it was? I know you said that you wanted to do stable orbit because it seemed like from a programming background, it might be simpler. Um, but just from the style of games that you've worked on, I guess, does, does this feel more comfortable in a way? Does that make sense? To... Yeah, no, it's, it's more to do with the fact that I, like I really grew up on adventure games. Mm -hmm. like the first games I played were Myst and the seven guests. And okay. I used to really dig the, uh, cryo interactive, uh, series like when i was younger if you entered a toy store or a, a bookshop where they had games like nine out of ten games were adventure games um so those are, have been really formative in my tastes and um i i really wanted to to give my own spin to that genre and that's what i'm doing with uh, with this new game excellent Excellent. And um, so I, I realized when I was kind of writing some questions down for this that um, Stable Orbit was published by Green Man Gaming, which I didn't even realize they published any games. Uh, how was it working with, with Green Man? It's not um, a common publisher that you see out there. No, and I actually, like, I, I got in contact with them because I was looking for distribution options at a, outside of Steam, and then they reached out and said, you know, we've launched this uh, publishing arm and we really like your game. Would you like to get on board? Um, and that was a really positive thing of this cooperation. Like they, they immediately got the game and got behind it. Um, and unfortunately, I think they went through some growing troubles while Stable Orbit was, uh, was brought out. Um, which is one of the reasons where why I'm 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 going to be uh, self-publishing this next game, um, but for for Stable Lord, it was good to have a publisher. Like I was starting a new company, I had so many things to 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 think about and and to get right and to have have partner that worried about getting the game published and getting promotional deals, all, all those kinds of things. That was a uh, that was really helpful. I feel like even in the last two years, uh, I feel like the amount of studios that you see doing kind of self-publishing um, and just the, the ability to do that, the how much more open uh, places like Steam are now versus, you know, just a couple of years ago, it seems like it would be easier to do it on your own than, than ever before. Um, so Yeah, I guess yes and no. Like, yes, it's much easier to, to go at it alone, 
but the downside, of course, is that everybody can do it now. So um, making sure that your game gets the attention it needs um, is, I think, quite a bit harder nowadays. Yeah, that uh, that has been a common thing that I've heard from from developers lately. Uh, that you know, it's, it's wonderful that everybody can make games, but now that everybody can make games, it's just that much more crowded. Um, yeah. So definitely, definitely understandable. Um, well, I guess we'll we'll get into the game itself then. Uh, Privacy just recently announced uh, first person kind of narrative driven adventure game. Uh, sounds really neat. There'll be a trailer in the you know um, show notes for the episode, uh, but I guess just walk us through the the kind of elevator pitch for this game. What what is privacy? So imagine on one day you are sent to the house of some really rich guy who's recently deceased, and you're asked to to get his research files. Um, and on the surface, that's a really easy mission. And there's like it's in the near future, so the house has a nice AI that will help you. And of course, if that would, would be all, then it would be too simple, and we don't wouldn't have a game. So unfortunately, the AI can't really give you what you need. And you then have to make a decision: like, go I dig through all the personal items of this guy and his family just to get his research files or is that not cool with me and what I really want to do with this game is kind of put you in a situation and then take the reins off and let you do your thing okay so can you can you complete the game without getting like invasive into this guy's personal history and learning all that stuff or is that more of a um I guess just a comfort level thing where if you don't want to continue playing through the game because it involves having to to dig through a dead guy's personal belongings, which I guess most people are probably comfortable with because every RPG, um, you know, you you loot all the dead corpses all the time. (laughs) So it's a weird video game thing. Um, But uh, is is that actually kind of in the game, that struggle with how far you go in terms of uh, digging into this guy's life. So if you want to reach the end of the story, you are going to have to do at least a little bit of digging. Um, But I definitely want to play with your comfort level, Mm. where in many games, it's just a mindless thing. Like uh, you you find a corpse and then the corpse has an audio recording and you just play it because that's how the game gives you backstory, right? Right. Um, But here I want to... Like at one point, you get the diary of the uh, the wife of Mr. Robin here, who is the deceased uh, CEO, and she will get into some pretty personal stuff. And it it will be up to you. Do I really want to read all this on the off chance that I get some extra information out of it, or is this really too much for me? So will will that affect the the story in any way besides just like how much information you're getting or are, are there any sort of multiple endings or anything like that um there there are going to be multiple endings but it's um it's not really like mass effect where i keep a massive database of everything you did and um um depending on which choices you made you get 
outcome A or outcome B. Like um, I, I see it more like the the game creates a situation for you to explore and draw your own conclusions from. And at the end, I'm going to offer you a little choice. Um, but like, if you did or did not read Emma's diary, that's that's not going to affect the ending per se. Okay, it just more affects your interaction with the game and how much you know and, and also your kind of comfort level. Um, yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. And, it, you know, always, if, if you want to make it more like Mass Effect, you can always just give three different endings and give a different color to each one. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the people will love that. They, and then, they loved then do Mass a Effect DLC 3. three months <laughs> later, which gives just, the ending slightly longer cinematic. Yeah, it d- doesn't change anything. just adds, like... You know, a, a few more seconds of, of content. Uh, that was that was a weird year. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> I have to bring up Mass Effect like at least once an episode. It's in my contract. It's uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I, I I really really love those games. Uh, kind of getting back on track. Uh, so the the overarching theme is you're you're having to dig into this billionaire's past. Uh, with the ultimate goal of finding his research. Uh, so are you are you part of the company that he's a part of? You you insurance or like are you a detective? What's kind of your role in all of this? Why are you needing to get this information? Um, so you work for the company. And like I'm, you're, you don't play a, play a character. Like you play you. Okay. Um, but when you start, you get a call from your boss. Uh, and he says, "Like, go get those files for me, and off you go." Um, gotcha. Very cool. So, as far as gameplay goes, uh, from the trailers, it looks very reminiscent of something like the games that Fulbright makes, um, you know, uh, Tacoma or Gone Home. Is it more of a just story-driven game that you walk through, or you mentioned you called it an adventure game at the beginning? Um, and talked about being inspired by adventure games of old. Do you have more classic adventure game puzzles? Uh, what's kind of... How, do, how does the game It's not going play? to be very puzzly, uh, like no riven puzzles with grids and, and, and stuff. Um, there will be some puzzle elements, like um, in... Find find the correct combination to open a certain lock, um, but I want to keep the puzzle elements quite quite light, like um, because I want you to be able to explore the house at your leisure. And um, oftentimes, like puzzles can be really blocks from completing a game, which uh, like I kind of hope that everybody who buys privacy can also see the ending. That's uh, something like, I, I've read a statistic somewhere that, that less than 50% of gamers finish the games they buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of want to give an experience where you go like, hey, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's one or two evenings and it's a satisfying ending and I'm happy that I bought this game. Um, so I'm trying to stay away from really deep brain scratching stuff. Sure. Um, what, 
is it is it going to be more just environmental and that you need to find certain things in the game or what uh do you have any puzzles that you can sort of talk about just to give an idea of how how that works in the game well there's like the simplest puzzle is kind of like you have puzzles in doom like you find a red door and then you need to find a red key sure um so there's a couple of those and there's a couple of puzzles in the in the sense that you um, have to put items in the correct order or in the correct place to unlock a certain thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now you mentioned that the uh, you know this is in the future. This is a smart house. There's an AI there. Uh, what? And unless it's a spoiler and we can't talk about it, what is actually kind of stopping you from being able to just walk in and get the files that you need? So the AI is called Hubert, and he like it's in this future. It's quite common that every house has an AI to to help the people who live there. Kind of like every spaceship in Star Trek has a has a computer on board. Okay. Um, and when you enter the house, Hubert is really helpful. He says like, "Oh, sure, the, go here, and I'll let you grab the files." But unbeknownst to himself, he's been split into two. So as soon as you enter the office that belonged to Mr. Mr. Den here, he kind of changes his tone and goes like, nope, you cannot access any files here. Hmm. Um, and then like one of the conceits in the game is um, totems. Um, because like we carry our, our iPhone or Pixel 4 or whatever your, your personal device is, and use that to to identify ourselves in a lot of places nowadays. Mm -hmm. But in this future, mm -hmm. like all the electronics equipment that we are currently used to has been replaced by augmented reality. Um, so people carry around totems to identify themselves uh, for computers. Um, so luckily, there's a few totems scattered around the house. And if you can find them, then you can get access to other features. Okay. So... Uh, I guess kind of the, the futuristic idea of like ID badges and cards and stuff like that that, that get you into certain places. Yeah. Uh, okay, very cool, very cool. Now, you mentioned that you wanted the game to be uh, something that everybody can complete, and so you know, a few evenings spent with it. Uh, do you have a projected, like how long the game is? Two hours, three hours, or is that still yeah, So my projection is about two to five hours. Okay. Like two if you really rush through the story, and five if you explore every nook and cranny of the house. Okay. And uh, which I think is a, a good length for a one-person studio to achieve. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I mean, honestly, I, I feel like after, unless unless you're going with like a big, epic, fantasy or sci-fi kind of you know RPG story. Um, which you know those can get way into the weeds, but a lot of that is you know side con content and whatnot. Um, but when you've when you've got just a, a single player kind of first person story driven thing, after about five hours, it, usually the thing that causes the game to take longer is whatever objective you have in a game. It's just like oh you you need to go here. And oh, the bridge collapses. Now you're in a canyon, and you have to work your way out. So that adds an hour of content, but it doesn't actually add any story. It just takes longer to get to the end. 
Um, so all of that to say, yeah, two two to five hours sounds sounds good. Uh, in line with a lot of other games that this you know sounds kind of similar to. Um, any any reason to like replay the game? Um, I feel like you know a lot of these types of games you get through the story and you know it's this kind of it do you want this to be something that people replay or is it more about people having whatever experience that they have whether they're really invasive into this guy's life or they try to be as respectful as possible and then whatever choices they make at the end and just kind of having that one-time experience and and moving on if that makes any sense I'm I'm kind of hoping that it's something you do want to replay, like once you know the full story. That you, I'm hoping that people will at least play it another time to to experience the story once again when they have the final perspective. Mm. Like a bit like if you've watched The Sixth Sense and you know the ending, and then you watch it again. There's a lot of things that you notice that you didn't notice on the first viewing. Sure. Um, so I'm hoping there's a bit of that in the game. Okay. Um, and I also kind of hope that it's going to be like a good book where maybe not immediately, but a few years down the line, you go like, oh, you know what? I have some time. Privacy was a fun game. Let's let's do it again. That would be really cool if I can achieve that. Sure. Absolutely. Like I've missed, I've, I've played Myst at least 10 times and I enjoyed every one. Mm. And the story never changes, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a special kind of game that makes you wanna when you get done with it wanna play it again a second time. Um, and I, I don't know what that that quality is. I I wish I knew. I, I wish I could point it out in games. <laughs> um, but that sounds. Yeah, it's it, especially with movies. I, I love it when I can go back to a movie or or go back to a book, and you can see things that you didn't see, you know, in previous viewings or or whatnot. Um, so that, that sounds like that sounds really nice. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm hoping I kind of have a handle on how to achieve that, um, but we'll know once the game is done. And, <laughs> and it's not it's not up to me to. To make that judgment, ultimately, like I can say, um, I think it's a story that's worth revisiting. But it's going to be up to players who experience it for the first time and then go back for a second round and say, "Yeah, yeah, Jim was right," or maybe they'll say, "Yeah, Jim was full of it." And after a first time playing it, that was more than enough for me. <laughs> that's that's the funny and the scary thing about these things. Like you put it out in the world and let the world judge you, I guess. Sure. Sure. Now, um, are you the, the sole content creator on this game or are, do you have anybody that you're contracting work with or working with as far as music or art or anything like that? Um, so currently I am the only, the only guy working on it. Um, I, I'm probably going to to outsource some some of the sound design to a good friend of mine, um, just to save myself a little bit on time. Um, but Codelin was founded to be a, intentionally a one-person company. I uh, 
I know how to make these games work in the small. Um, and once you get to, to hiring a full team, things just get so much scarier. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's not a situation I'm comfortable being in just yet. Yeah. And I imagine I imagine it's, it's one thing when you, especially when it comes to a company, if you take a risk and, you know, you're the one that's on the line. But once you have other people's livelihoods, um, that, yeah, that, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, right. Like for me, it's, it's, it's not just like me on the line it's my family sure. like if 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 the game fails my family doesn't eat so it's that's that's scary plenty scary that's pl- plenty scary actually. enough <laughs> put other uh, people's family in the mix though and it i i assume it gets just even scarier yeah and like my, my old boss once said like he kind of had some bad sleep when he realized uh, that he was responsible for 30 mortgages now hmm. and then you go like yeah i guess you are yeah um, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick to one. And then once I figure out like how, how to make this really stable and successful, then I'll consider branching out to, to maybe a little bit bigger. Okay. Very cool. Now, uh, where is the game currently in, in production? Um, so I'm quite a, quite a way along already. Like the house has been fully built. All the rooms are there. And I'm currently putting in all the story elements, making sure that every cupboard is filled. Um, so plenty of things to do, but all in all, I'm I'm quite quite happy with where I am. Okay. Um, how? What do you have a projected uh, kind of launch date for the game that that you can talk about, or uh, general? I guess uh, so release date. The, it's it's going to launch next year. Um, probably in the first half. Okay. And I'm gonna have like, I'm gonna need some a little leeway there. You know, game games have a tendency to miss their deadlines. Um, so we will announce a, a proper date when once we're sure that we're gonna hit it. Right. So we'll we'll just go ahead and say 2021, and then you can surprise us with a much sooner <laughs> with a much sooner date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so my, my experience is actually that every game I worked on, including the ones at Nixus, it just feels like the game's not coming together and there's keep you keep having issues and and there's this moment where suddenly the sky clears and everything starts falling into place and you and that's when you actually go like, Oh my god, we're actually going to make this crazy deadline that we set ourselves. Um so I've I've I have good good faith that that I'll ship the game when I want it. But awesome. Um, let's pick year and see how it is. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, now that brings up kind of talking about um, you know working under pressure and, and things like that and trying to make deadlines. The game industry is not known for having a great work life balance. What what is it like? Uh, I assume do you work from home, or do you have a, a space that you go to when you when you work? I work from home. Um, like I have a room in the attic, which is my uh, my office, and um, that's that's where I where I work. Um, and I personally think that I've achieved a pretty good work life balance. Okay. Like um, 
I have coffee breaks with my kids. Um, and I, I, I kind of make a point of working responsible hours. Like I, I, I try to do the whole 80 hours a week thing, work every evening, stay up late. Um, but every time I try it, I just find that my productivity tanks. Like it, it works for, for the, like the first week. If if I have a concrete deadline, I can go absolutely crazy and make sixteen hour hour days and and get stuff done. But after a little while, I just turn it into the zombie that's staring at the screen all day, and that's definitely not good for productivity. Right. Uh, so right. usually, I just try to make like normal office hours. Okay. And make sure that I'm well rested every day, so that I can hit the ground running, get a good days of work in spend some time with the kids afterwards and then do it again the next day. But, uh, that, that actually sounds like it, it's really cool uh, that you can work from home in this regard with having young kids like that and being able to spend time with them. Uh, that but actually that's, seems that's, like you have a really nice setup there. That's a huge gift. Yeah. Like uh, people sometimes ask me if I don't miss having colleagues and to be perfectly honest, at times I do, mm -hmm. but just having the kids around and and seeing them grow up around me, um, that's that's just priceless. So, sure, really really happy with this arrangement. Well, that actually makes me wonder. So, um, you said your oldest is four, and that your last game came out about two years ago. Uh, so, I guess when you started um, Stable Orbit, you didn't have any children. And now you nope. do. How how has that impacted? I guess the way that you make games, how you think about games, or has that impacted any of that? Um, well, I think it strengthened my opinions. Um, like I, I said before, that I left Nixus because I was kind of tired of playing games that were violent. Sure. And I have no qualms about the existence of violent games. Like I. I've enjoyed them for quite a long time, and like we we talked about uh, playing control earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel that as an industry, we're kind of overly focused on that type of game. Um, and I'm hoping to be amongst those people who put out games that are using the medium in a different way to tell to tell stories that aren't necessarily devoid of violence, um, but are, are about more than just testing your reflexes. Sure. Like, I inflict some pretty horrible stuff on the people in my game. Um, like, the, Robert Powell is deceased, his son died of cancer, um, his wife left him. So there's a different kind of conflict in my games than there is in, say, Tomb Raider. Sure. Um, and I'm definitely not targeting like, young people like my my kids with this game. It's it's very. I'm, I'm hesitant to say mature because that tends to give a label of like gory details or uh, it's it's not in that sense. But it's it's more adult oriented, I guess. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it's funny how mature often means like actually immature. Uh, yeah, to certain things. Like, um, like you 
you rip bodies open and there's a lot of sex in it. Well, that, this is not that type of game. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's weird how com like combat is such a, a shorthand for conflict. Like it's it's I guess besides sports, it's like the easiest way to give you a sense of overcoming something in a video game and and having some sort of gratification. Um, whereas I don't know, I you know we we've talked about it before on on the podcast where you know, video games are kind of like the this infinite pie. And you can have however many slices you actually want, but so many, so much of the video game industry is just focused on having this combat violence focused section of the pie. And it's like, we, we can do more guys. Like we can, we can keep those kind of games. We just we need more different slices. Um, oh, definitely. And I think if we want to grow the medium, we, we don't need a bigger pie of violent games. We need, to have those other slices and mm -hmm. just do do interesting stuff. Like I want to see a game where you get a gun with one bullet and then that's that's your ammunition for the game. And then somebody make an interesting experience where kind of like Jack Sparrow in the first movie, like he he really had to save his one bullet for the right occasion. Mm -hmm. Give me a game like that. Yeah, I've I've always wanted to see a mo or a, a video game kind of like Die Hard, where you have a very specific number of enemies. We've got like you know in, in that case I think it's twelve, um, and you know if they've made Die Hard into a game, and you always have like waves and waves of enemies. But it's like, what if you had this, whatever the environment was, and you had you had like a dozen enemies, and that was it. That was all there was in the game. Um, and it was more about, you know, figuring out how to, to take these people out rather than you, you know, being a bullet sponge and then being a bullet sponge and firing thousands of bullets and killing thousands of enemies. And, um, yeah, I would definitely like to see a game where you have 12 interesting enemies that, yeah. um, I feel like the closest thing, oddly enough, was the the reboot of Prince of Persia, um, where you, you definitely fought more enemies than that, but it was always these like one on one fights, and so every fight was kind of like a, a mini boss battle. Um, yeah, I other people apparently found it to be boring, but I thought it was super neat. Um, so did I. So did I. So that was that was a good game. Anyway, we've gone way off the rails. Uh, so the game is, is hopefully coming out sometime next year, but you'll announce a, a more specific date as you get closer and you've got that, that time more nailed down, correct? Yep. Awesome. Uh, don't know how we got to, to Die Hard and Prince of Persia from there, but uh, it, it, we won't worry about it. Um, so where, uh, where are you hoping to have the game launch? So I'm definitely going to launch on Steam. Um, and other platforms, like I definitely want to bring the game to other platforms as well, but I'm not in a position to announce anything there yet. Okay. Uh, there's the like the downside of being the one person army is there's only so much you can do in a day. <laughs> um, sure. So if like 
I I prefer to 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 say more stuff about other platforms once I'm fully sure and I'm committed to it. No, don't make any empty promises to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I I think that's all the questions that I have for the game itself, which means it's time to get into the the end game, which is probably my favorite part of the show. Um, it's really just because I get to ask really difficult questions. And uh, I don't have to worry about having to answer them. I have answered, I think, all of these before, so you can't just flip it around on me. Many people have tried. Um, <laughs> <laughs> first question, though, simple but difficult usually. Uh, it's who's your favorite video game character? And that can be uh, any character. It can be hero, sidekick, villain, whatever the case may be, but uh, video games. Um, Ellie from The Last of Us. Ooh. And timely, because we just had a trailer for The Last of Us 2, uh, yeah. which I think looks really good. Ellie is great. Ellie is great. Okay. Uh, well, that was that was quick. Usually that's, that's a lot more drawn out, but fantastic. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on, what is a video game that you would like to replay again for the first time and had that kind of first-time experience with it? Uh, it can be an older game. It, you don't have to worry about the game aging poorly. You get to just re-experience that, that first time again. Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, so I'm going to go with um, Atlantis by Cryo Interactive or Cryo Games. Okay. I, I just remember being really excited about that game. Um, and then the second would be Riven. Okay, now I'm I, I'm familiar with Riven, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people are, a sequel to, to Mist, but I'm not familiar with Atlantis by, by Cryo. Can you tell me a little bit about that game? Um, so it's, it was an adventure game as well, and in the, it played on uh, a version of Atlantis, and they had this really cool, not quite cyberpunk, but sort of semi-technology, semi-organic look. And you got to fly in a flyer, and it like it blew me away as a kid. So, fun memories. Awesome. Uh, now, was that a, um, a first-person game, or was that a, like, isometric, you're clicking around on the, the ground to have a, a 3D No, it was a first-person perspective. Okay. Very cool. All right. Now, the, uh, the next question is a little bit different, and this is, uh, what is a blind spot in video games that you have? So it's a particular game or a franchise that's you know really popular or well thought of, and either you, you don't like it or you've just never actually got around to playing it, but you would like to. Um, I'm going to go with Kerbal Space Program there. Mm. And that's because a lot of people compare... Stable Orbit to Kerbal Space Program, and I, I just don't get that game. I, <laughs> I really want to like it, especially the the sequel that's coming out. Like the trailer looks amazing, and it's to do with space, which I really love. But I sat down the game for a couple of times, and it just doesn't click with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I that's the the thing that probably frustrates me most is not when I dislike a game, but when I play a game and I'm like, okay, I can see how this is good. I just don't care. Like, I just don't want to play it. I want to love this. Why don't I love this? Right? Yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating. 
The problems uh, we have. <laughs> First world problems, to be sure. Uh, <laughs> why don't Why don't I like this good thing? It's. Uh, um, uh, so the next one is a little bit broader of a question, and that is, what is a good trend in video games uh, that you would like to see more of? Wow. Um, so it's not a trend yet, but I really dig that uh, Death Stranding has this very easy mode. Mm-hmm. Um, because that I, I kind of feel that, that a lot of games are very designed to be challenging, which I totally understand. And there's a lot of gamers that enjoy those challenges. But for someone like me, it was a busy life and only sporadic time to play games. I just want to have the easiest way to get through the story because that's why I play a lot of games. Like I enjoy the game story. I know, I know it's a side dish for a lot of people, but for me, it's the main course. So please let me enjoy my main course. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because anytime you, you bring up difficulties and, you know, every game, or, you know, you didn't say this, but people have said that, you know, every game needs to have a very easy mode like Death Stranding is going to have. And that's, that's a weird statement to make because there are a lot of games out there where their specific blend of difficulty is very important to the game. And obviously that makes sense that you don't just have a slider that you can change that on. Um, but for a lot of games, I feel like, you know, you, you've already given us like five options. Um, like, or, you know, the, the difficulty doesn't seem that important to how you experience the game. And so why you can't just give a an easier version of the game doesn't really seem to, to make sense. Yeah, or even like in in the past, they they used to have these cheat codes. Like mm-hmm. you enter a cheat code in Doom, and then you have boom, you have God mode enabled. Right. Like, I feel like cheat codes pretty much went away with achievements. Where it's like, oh, you you know, if you or you know the the early games that had cheat codes and achievements, it was like you know you're you can't earn achievements or trophies or whatever once you put this in, and uh, which which is just kind of driven cheat codes out of the yeah. the main ecosystem which is like okay well if i'm gonna put cheat codes in um i probably don't care that much about getting the achievements so. no no uh, so I, I i put uh, the god mode cheat mode cheat in you don't give me achievements i yeah. can live with that sure sure so Absolutely. Okay. Well, the next question, flipping the uh, the coin on its head, uh, what is a bad trope or a bad trend in video games that you wish there was either less of or it would just go away altogether? Um, well, I, I guess I still feel we need to make a little progress in how we depict women in games. Like, we've mm-hmm. gotten better, um, but there's still, like, then you have the warrior trope where she is basically in a bikini made of made of metal. Like, come on. Yep. 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 That was actually oddly enough that was one of the first things that stood out to me when I when I started playing Control was how much the game does not focus on her butt. So yeah. many like just the the way the camera is situated. Like so many games that have a female protagonist. It's it's kind of centered so that the derriere is right there in the center, 
and you know there'll be lingering shots where instead of the camera being over the shoulder it's kind of more at waist level and control just doesn't do that at all and it's weird that the absence of something as simple as that could stand out as much but it's just it's and so she's a common. badass character she is like, it's it's great it's, it's it's weirdly refreshing just to have that one little thing uh not to be the, the center of attention. Yeah, so so here's me hoping that in a couple of years, it's not going to be weirdly refreshing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, okay, the uh, next this is the second to last question, and you've already mentioned that you would like to be a pop singer, but uh, you can't use that because you've already said it. What is another profession, though, that you would like to give a shot to? Um, and this is just literally you can you can try anything in the whole world. What would you like to do? Well, uh, if I can try anything, then let's go for movie director. Okay. All right. So movie director, you you have achieved the status of being a renowned movie director. You get to make any movie. Um, are there any particular franchises or IPs that you would like to make? So I would be super thrilled to get my hands on the Jurassic Park mm. franchise and take it in a completely different direction. Okay. Uh, in a direction more akin to the books? Like, would you like to just reboot the whole thing and make something more similar to the book? Or is this just, is this dinosaurs in space? What, what direction do you want to take it? Oh, definitely not dinosaurs in space. <laughs> there's, and, and there's no like, I don't want to discard the first movie. Like that's that's my favorite movie of all time, so that has to stay. Um, but maybe like, restart the timeline from there. It's kind of like what they do with Terminator movies. Uh, every, every time <laughs> you have a third, <laughs> you just you always ignore everything except the first two movies, no matter how many sequels there are. <laughs> seems to work for them uh, I think it worked just fine um, and I, I agree that's really there have been fun Jurassic Park movies but there's only been one good Jurassic Park movie so uh, I'm fine with you uh, erasing all the others I think it'll be good I look forward to seeing that uh, when, whenever that happens uh, <laughs> alright now the uh, the last question you get to meet Ellie from The Last of Us. Hopefully, um, she's not either trying to kill you, and there's there's not clickers that are you know also trying to kill you. But you get to meet Ellie, and you get to ask her one question, and she responds. What is your question? What is her response? Ooh. So, how do you feel about Joel nowadays? Mm. And I guess her response would be that. She's pretty pissed that he lied to her, but she loves him all the same. Okay, that's a, that's a good answer. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations. That uh, we are done with the end game. I don't have any prizes for you. I apologize. Uh, it'd be hard to give over the internet anyway. But um, that does it for the podcast as well. Thank you so much, Jim, for sitting down with me and chatting about privacy. Uh, as well as a bunch of other things. I uh, look forward to the game coming out at some point in the future. 
Uh, if you could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about the game. Of course, go to codelin.com slash privacy. And then from there, you'll find everything you need to know. Excellent. Simple enough. And uh, there'll be links to the trailer and Steam page and all that kind of good stuff in the show notes for this episode for people to, to click on. And uh, yeah, that does it. Thank you again for, for sitting down and chatting with me. And best of luck as you continue working on the game and get it out the door. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. 